0: And with me today, uh, I have a fourth year at Northwestern's um, Civil Engineering Department, specifically in the area of transportation. Um, And I already forgot your random facts, and now you just have to say it.
1: Random fact? Oh, first time I ever left the country, and only time I ever left the country, is for an academic conference in the greater uh, London area.
0: Yeah, that's right. Oh, how'd I forget? Wow. And one beer in. That's sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome, Mike Hyland. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's, let's cheers. cheers. Nice. Cheers. Mm. So today I am having Gotta Get Up to Go Down, to Get Down, Coffee Milk Stout from Wiseacre. That's pretty good. Never had it before, but I'm, I'm digging it.
1: I'm having the Brickstone Brewery APA. Quite good as well yeah
0: we're doing we're doing some craft beer gotta gotta keep it hipster in grad school <laughs> um so you you study transportation
1: that's correct yeah Does, uh,
0: when you tell people that what is their first assumption
1: oh it totally ranges they kind of just start guessing as to what i do um i think most people think of civil engineering so they think of like roads and bridges and us building them which is not exactly what i do and other people were pretty super familiar with what we do. Not really sure how, because I wasn't until my junior year of college. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's usually the roads and bridges sides, but we get a little bit here. as like how we operate systems, which is actually what our group does.
0: So you're, you're not looking at like, how do I make this engine more efficient, but how do I make this roadway slash the drivers on the roadway more efficient?
1: Exactly, yeah. So... I think the mechanical engineers are the ones that are making the cars and the buses and the trucks run more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some people who just make sure that you don't crash when you're on the road. And we kind of do a number of things. Um, some of the more interesting is just understanding like the physics of the traffic flow of how cars work on a highway or in a street. Um, we do signal design to make sure that you don't wait too long um, outside of the intersection. Wait, your
0: lab does signal design? Like how long a yellow light should be?
1: Um, yeah, that's, that's one of our areas whoa Um, yeah
0: that's super random (laughs) yeah exactly
1: no it's we're kind of all over the place um so my advisor has been around for a long time and has a lot of areas of expertise so one other which is kind of totally unrelated is travel behavior so that's kind of like the psychology and economics of how people make travel decisions and then what i work on is more the optimization industrial engineering operations research side which is kind of using optimization to make the system more efficient. Specifically, I work on managing fleets of autonomous vehicles.
0: So this is getting down to like Uber's driverless cars and and figuring out how we could make that actually a reality, but also how we can make it an efficient reality.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, so we're not working on making sure their autonomous cars work. We're saying if and when they um, take the driver out of the car, how can we manage a fleet of 20 to 1,000 vehicles to kind of reduce the overall cost of transportation, you know, make sure that the passengers like you and I don't have to wait for 15 or 20 minutes. And yeah, as I said, making that system run efficiently.
0: So when you talk about efficiency, are you talking about like how long a person has to wait for a car or how long it takes a car to get to where it needs to end up or it's over, you know?
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually a great question. Um, so it's kind of all of the above, right? So if you think in terms of like an objective function, Traditionally, it's just minimizing the cost for the service provider. So making sure Uber saves as much money as possible. But that was in the context of freight transportation in the past, where they're just moving goods. But now we're talking about moving people. So we kind of have to adopt these adapt these models to passenger transportation, where if you don't provide good quality of service, people aren't gonna write, use your service in general. So yeah, it's making sure that you don't have to wait outside or anywhere for a long time and then now, for things like Uber Pool and Lyft Line, if you're going to save a little money by adding other people to your trip, you also don't want to make sure that person has to go way out of their way to pick someone else up.
0: Right. When you're carpooling, it shouldn't cost you an extra 45 minutes just because you're trying to save five bucks.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually a pretty fun problem. Um, Lyft has actually been pretty cool and posted some stuff online as to how they're developing their algorithms. Um, so basically, I'm going to try and beat their algorithms, which (laughs) I think we know that I won't, but I'm certainly going to try.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, then it becomes a a computer programming chess match. Like I came up with this new optimization thing that allows me to be like 0.01% more efficient. And like, can you top that?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So they actually, right now from what it seems, they're using more like heuristics, which means like we have all these constraints to make sure that everyone's happy. And we'll do the best within those constraints. Whereas, like, I'm kind of coming at it from the opposite direction. It's like, okay, let's optimize the systems, and then add in the constraints later on, and see how much they hurt us, like in general. And whether so, if or not, people
0: were freight, how much?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing, right? So if if someone didn't mind waiting for twenty minutes outside, I mean, you could probably run the system a lot more cheaply by, you know, as well as like pulling more people in cars and using buses instead of cars Mm -hmm.
0: right oh yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. have you like thought about how the fact that these like driverless cars are still going to be dealing with real traffic with real people and like have you thought about because that makes it a dynamic system right like there's first of all like how do you get a to b on a map but then there's also like well only sometimes is there traffic at this stoplight but oftentimes over here it's worse because they're school kids or whatever
1: yeah like again another great question um so my advisor is really into transportation networks in general and in modeling dynamic transportation networks he's kind of like one of the foremost experts on that um i would say in five years or in three years i'll definitely have included the, the dynamic transportation system with the traffic signals with the school buses with the trucks with the cars in there i think right now i'm more just looking at it as an optimization problem but actually so that's kind of where i don't know if i'm overstating here but So it's kind of weird for people who I think that like civil engineering works in optimization as opposed to like operations research and industrial engineering, but it is at like the transportation network side where we do have an advantage because we have expertise in understanding how transportation systems work and how, as you said, crazy things can happen on the road network and how do (laughs) do you account for those.
0: Yeah. Well, so did you get your undergraduate degree in civil engineering? I did,
1: Yeah. Where did you get it at? Um, so I got my undergrad at Cornell. I, so I started at Penn State, actually, at a branch campus and then finished at Cornell for my undergrad. Did a master's there and obviously now at Northwestern. But even at Cornell, like, my advisor recommended I take as many operations research classes as possible so that I could do this type of research in the future.
0: Does it seem like that was just, like, where your field is now moving? Because it's, like, the the, the current big question.
1: Yeah, that's, ooh, that's a good question. So I think transportation has just historically been in civil engineering because roads and
0: bridges exactly yeah
1: (laughs) the civil side of things um but even like 50 60 years ago um it was a maybe a little bit of a push to move it in economics because more of the interest interesting researchers in economics actually there's a Nobel Prize winner who got his uh Nobel Prize doing an application to transportation so he's uh Kind of, everyone talks about him.
0: Whoa! Wait, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I can't, actually can't remember his name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that really famous guy whose yeah, name I don't.
1: I got it. It's, it's Dan McFadden, actually. Um, so, he was understanding how people make decisions, and basically, transportation engineers were doing a terrible job of predicting how people would use roads and use them new modes. So, in California, there was a giant project for. Um, to build the BART system, actually, if I'm getting the history correct. Mm -hmm. Um, And they kind of went to economists instead of transportation engineers to predict who would use this and how much money they could make to see if it would make fiscal sense. And he kind of applied some of his theories and discrete choice modeling to transportation.
0: Well, that, I mean, no offense, but that makes sense because when you think about, like bad sidewalk design which is like inherently an architectural slash engineering issue like they'll put right corners and sidewalks it's like no one's making a right corner they're gonna fucking cut across it and there's gonna be dead grass there forever until you fix that path because no one is gonna do that
1: yeah i mean i guess i don't want to be the one bad mouthing engineers but uh (laughs) as my as my um as a professor at northwestern always says like there's always this kind of thought that if we just let engineers rule the world, everything would work better. And he's like, that would be the worst idea. Like, we don't understand how people work very well at all. So, like, if you give us the parameters, we can design a pretty efficient system. But we're usually pretty bad at understanding what people, like, want and desire. So.
0: Right. Human parameters are still very iffy. And as a psychologist, I can say that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I mean, I think maybe, yeah, recently there's been a little of a push to move in industrial engineering operations research. But... I mean, I think it's fine in in civil engineering for now, because it's just an interdisciplinary field anyway. You're never going to have the perfect department to put it in.
0: Right, and it makes sense as being interdisciplinary. Like, you you want to have multiple different kinds of expertise that can draw on this, because this isn't a one type of of problem that you will ever get a perfect clean solution for. Absolutely. (laughs) Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, so we even kind of split within transportation. as like the demand side and the supply side, so... Well, my research is more on the supply side and understanding the networks, but as I mentioned, there's the economists, the psychologists who work on understanding how people make travel decisions. So it's even difficult getting those two in the same room and talking about things.
0: (laughs) So they have different conferences, like they don't talk to each other? No,
1: they do the same conferences for the most... Actually, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there is like the big conference that everyone goes to from roadways to travel or travel behavior demand supply but then there are separate conferences for the supply side and the demand side which is pretty interesting actually yeah
0: <laughs> so so every day you're not going out and you're not like measuring the speed of cars what is most of what you're doing just computational models like are you just sitting in front of a computer all day trying to figure this stuff out
1: yeah that's exactly right um so there certainly is a lot of data collection and transportation um <laughs> i actually <laughs> know
0: someone who does data collection really yeah I was like, that sounds boring, but also really important.
1: On what specifically?
0: Uh, on, I think it was like highway feeder roads in Texas. I, I would have to check back That's again. Funny, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I guess I don't want to sound too arrogant, but <laughs> we have a general understanding of how transportation systems work in general. So I, right now I'm like, so I'm trying to model these autonomous vehicle fleets and, I'm not necessarily using data. I'm, I, I have a model of the system. I generate random demand, which kind of makes sense based on intuition. Now, once uh, this dissertation moves farther along, there's a number of data sources I will use, but and that'll only be kind of like slightly adjusting the algorithm. Right, you're later tweaking on. the
0: model, not not reinventing the wheel. Yeah,
1: exactly. But then there's a there's a ton of um, work on like using already collected data in my lab. So Divi is one of the more interesting ones. They have a lot of... The Divi bikes? Yeah. So they how
0: how does that data get used for like autonomous cars though? Oh, no,
1: sorry, not for autonomous cars. Just in general. Oh, yeah.
0: just in general. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that totally so makes sense.
1: we do. A bunch of research projects and
0: I've seen they did like a heat map. I think it was like the equivalent of Divi map of Divvy bikes in New York City and they did a heat map across a week yeah. and you could see people like moving into their jobs, going home, moving into the jobs, going home and on the weekends it was just like random activity. <laughs> people ride everywhere because it's a weekend.
1: Yeah, exactly. So these bike share systems have done a good job of having like data challenges which basically gets people to analyze your data for free (laughs) brilliant yeah exactly (laughs) so there's things like you're mentioning with data visualization which is really cool with like any type of transportation data because you can overlay it on a city map and see where people were going and yeah so we did a similar thing kind of like clustered different Divi stations based on what types of trips that are made and we saw like three clear distinctions one is like the leisure trips um, which are basically all along Lakeshore and in certain parts of the city. There's like the morning commute uh, bike stations and then the evening commute bike stations. So it's coming like back.
0: going to work, Come. leaving work.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's incredible how clear the data is on those things. It's, it's pretty fun to see.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I would love to, like, yeah. I think the visualization on that is, it's so intuitive, but it's also so beautiful because you're like, yeah, this, exactly. this absolutely makes
1: sense. Which is nice, like, as much as like models are important it's really fun to see like just the data telling you what's going on you don't even need a model to see that like people go from residential areas in the morning to the center city at the same time then come back to the residential areas at night so yeah it's quite cool
0: yeah that's so neat so when you're doing modeling like did you have kind of I don't want to say preset algorithm but like a a really basic model that then you've been tweaking and building on or did you have to do this from scratch
1: no it's i mean it's more tweaking existing stuff um so i guess there's two sides of the modeling one is like creating your mathematical program with your objective function and your constraints and those are out there so in the past um, as i mentioned like freight transportation um kind of routing trucks around the country um is one um taxi dispatching which is mm-hmm. less efficient than obviously the uber and the list will need to be in the future and then there's things like what's known as the dollar ride problem which is for transit services for people who are usually elderly or handicapped so you have to kind of run a, a similar system to uber pool and Lyft line except uh, with or formally for kind of disabled people
0: Right, so you need specialized vehicles and yeah, it's a little bit more complicated.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm adapting those mathematical programs for this passenger transportation with autonomous vehicles problem. Um, so actually, the, the mathematical problem is pretty similar. What's interesting and what needs to change is the solution algorithms. Mm-hmm. So, whether it's for taxi dispatching or freight transportation, the solutions could take a lot longer to solve. You could wait and even the night before a couple hours and get your routes for the next day. Whereas like for Uber and Lyft, it's super dynamic. Like someone requests a ride, you basically need to assign them a vehicle almost immediately and that vehicle needs to pick them up within the next two or three minutes for them to be happy. Mm So that's the biggest difference between my research and what's what's already out there is how do you solve these problems?
0: Yeah, and how much time you can take to solve the problem because you yeah. need a, a smart system that can be like, oh, we took care of this person, but now we've got you know six new people in the grid, and how are we going to reroute? And-
1: yeah, exactly. And the problem itself, like the what we call the static problem, is a NP-hard problem, meaning like as the problem gets bigger, you can't find an exact solution in a reasonable amount of time. So. There's a number of ways to make it solvable. One of them is kind of reducing the size of the network, which means like you're making approximations and not finding the exact answer. Another is making like simple heuristic, which just says that like, assign a new passenger to the nearest available vehicle. Right. Which actually doesn't work that well, and that's why you need a lot of research in the area. Really? Yeah. I mean, that
0: seems like the intuitive answer, right? Like that car was closest, pick that car. Yeah,
1: exactly. So. The reason that doesn't work super well is because you're not taking advantage of potential overlap with that person who's near a vehicle's next future ride. So if another vehicle that's going to be dropping off passenger off near that um, person who just requests a ride, you're basically wasting some efficiency there. Um, so yeah, it it's kind of cool to see that that isn't the best thing, because then you need to go to optimization methods to improve the solution. But you're right; it is intuitive that, like for the most part, you'd think just assign the nearest like open vehicle to the to the new passenger. But
0: do you think that that is like the biggest problem facing this kind of optimization, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem is, as I said, the problem pretty much can't be solved in a reasonable amount of time. So you have to come up with these either simple heuristics or approximations to the problem, and I think that'll keep engineers and researchers busy for a long time, (laughs) which is good for me, of course. I was
0: gonna say, you'll have a job for a good long time.
1: (laughs) So, as you mentioned earlier, like whether it's you're saving 0.001% or 0.01% is actually a pretty big deal.
0: Right. People, they're like, oh, well, it's both below 1%, but it's like, no, that's an order of magnitude different. Like, that is like 100 people who are pissed off versus 100 people who aren't. Yeah,
1: exactly. And the difference between for the company, like, a $1 million profit and a $100 million profit yeah. in a quarter.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. so, like, do you want to stay in research? Is this an area that's only considered an academic pursuit? I'm, I'm assuming not. I'm assuming this is no. so tied in with, with yeah. the uh, industry.
1: Definitely. So, I mean, there's, like, 30 companies right now that are developing autonomous vehicles. I don't think there'll be... 30? S- yeah.
0: Oh, my God. So there's the,
1: like, what we call, like, the tech giants, Apple and Google are doing it. Uh, right. Like, about... 20 car manufacturers Ford, gm tesla chrysler uh, bmw and then there's the uber and lyfts so who are all working on these things separately i don't think that there'll be 30 service providers i think there'll be a lot of kind of collaboration and uh, right uh, overlap and exactly people buying each other out but so all these companies in a sense are interested in obviously they need the driverless cars actually that's not true like uber and lyft could use these algorithms now
0: on human drivers? Yeah. Just exactly. like giving them the optimal route to like pick up as many passengers in that area. and
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's slightly less efficient with drivers because there's a communication time to tell them where to go and they could not listen to you or they need to go home at a certain time. Whereas if you have total control over the entire fleet.
0: Right. Well, it would be like, best even if you're using humans, if the humans like had to preset, like I will work from noon till 8 p.m. Because yeah. then then you know how long that car's going to be in service online and then... Even that is better than
1: yeah exactly. I'm done. <laughs> I'm going home now. That's actually um, one of the interesting problems we're looking at is like, and Uber actually started the service is like, reserving rides for the future. So either a couple hours in advance or the next day, that actually allows you to increase like the optimization of the system significantly because you can plan in advance yeah. and take advantage of where you, you to get those cars where those future demands are going to be. Well, no, like, a lot of
0: people could do that when you think about how many people that are like, I know I'm going to be out late that night and I want to ride home or I know like, and I guess you'd need to give them a window. It wouldn't be like, I want to be picked up at seven Oh five. Yeah. exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, Maybe even if it's a three minute window, they could probably handle that. Or I mean, 10 minute window helps them out a little bit, but yeah. So that actually is another interesting area, which is pricing for the things. So, mm, yeah. Whether or not you have to pay more to advance that or request the ride in advance and make sure it's going to be there. Or whether you get a discount because that allows the service provider to know that they have demand in the future in this area. So,
0: yeah. No service providers currently, though, allow for like pre-planning a trip, right?
1: Uber just started about a month and a half ago with that. Oh. So you can reserve a ride in advance. Yeah, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, the one that people always talk about is like making sure there's a vehicle available to go to the airport
0: yeah you know when your flight is it's like i have to get there
1: yeah exactly so whether you you know you want to leave work at five o'clock on friday you want an Uber to be there you don't want to have to worry about they're paying for surge pricing or they're not being a vehicle there at all and you kind of just have to hope to grab a cab so
0: yeah. yeah do you ever think about how much like to some degree you're taking because you're looking at autonomous vehicles you're taking a lot for granted you're taking for granted like that traffic patterns to some degree aren't going to change a lot. Like, there, there will be rush hour and there will be certain congested areas, but like, you're also taking for granted, like, just, just human error. Like, do you think that this, how much more efficient would this system be if it was all autonomous cars?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, one of the more interesting areas, again, in transportation research. Um, I think it would get significantly more efficient. If all the vehicles were autonomous, um, so actually, before the podcast started, we talked about intersections and yeah. um, kind of using like game theory to decide who gets through an intersection as cars are traveling at 40 to 60 miles per hour, um, and then even on highways, I think there's a huge potential uh, gain there in efficiency. Even so, with highways, you don't even need 100%. Like once you get to 40 to 60%, you're going to get a huge efficiency gain from just the traffic flow and the way it travels so i think yeah the the more and i i don't want to predict when it's going to happen but whether it's 20 or 30 or 40 years down the road um, there will be some serious advantages in terms of traffic flow for having all autonomous vehicles on the road
0: right so probably highways within our lifetime cities less clear (laughs) we'll see it's a very complex problem
1: yeah exactly but we have the advantage of there being a lot of potential money for companies to get, so they're putting their best researchers on it, as well as a lot of academics working on the problem as well. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun.
0: <laughs> do you do a lot of work with actual individual companies? Like, is that where you get a lot of your raw data, or are you doing a lot of, like, governmental data sets?
1: I think, uh, so both in general. Um, so I'm funded through um, my advisor, but also through the... Uh, Federal Highway Administration, Department of Transportation's like Eisenhower grant, which they give out every year to a number of transportation researchers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, we've been approached by a number of private companies as well as, I mean, the federal government's very interested in autonomous vehicles. Um, well, yeah, mainly for it'll safety make s- reasons. everything
0: so much more safe and efficient.
1: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, under the current administration, safety is like the number one priority, as I assume it'll be in future administrations for the federal government and states, because, I mean, we lose a lot of people every year on the road, so anything you can do to make it slightly safer is.
0: Apparently, that's been one of the number no, number one killers in Austin in recent years, Austin, Texas. And it's like, it's not clear if it's drunk driving because Austin's kind of become, parts of Austin become a kind of a party city. Okay. And so they can't tell if it's just like drunk drivers getting on the road or if it's like pedestrians or if it's a mix, but like, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely. Pedestrian it's,
0: deaths are way up in Austin.
1: That's weird. Yeah. So, I mean, over the past 80 years, we've had a steady decline in deaths with. Better infrastructure, better vehicles, safer vehicles. Um,
0: Seatbelts. (laughs) Seatbelts, yeah, exactly.
1: Huge decrease in the number of drunk drivers in the roads, but actually, it's kind of leveled off recently, and actually, this year specifically, we've had an increase. That's probably due to 2016,
0: just in case this comes out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah.
1: 2016, there looks like there's going to be an increase from 2015 and 2014. And this is fatalities. I actually don't know the data or the stats on um, traffic incidents, but. I assume they're pretty correlated. Yeah. Um, But that also coincides with, again, an increase in total vehicle miles traveled on the road.
0: I was going to say, you just have more people on the road. Like Eventually, someone's going to get hit.
1: Yeah, exactly. With
0: with humans behind the wheel, at least. Yeah. Maybe not with computers. We'll see.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think the computers will be perfect, but I think in a lot of ways, they'll be better than humans are. Yeah. Which...
0: Well, I mean, and oftentimes the only reason that, like, accidents will happen is because people don't like what the computer's trying to do. Wasn't there some accident, like, with a Tesla vehicle or something?
1: Yeah, so Tesla has a few accidents. Like, I think only one of them has been the result of the computer itself. A lot of it has been, like, the driver, as you said, not really liking what the computer is telling it to do, whether that's driving at the speed limit or, stay, <laughs> or staying in its lane or whatever. Um and and most or a number of the accidents have been caused by other vehicles running into the Teslas and, and the Google vehicles, right? Mainly because they tr- they follow the traffic rules. Yeah, <laughs> and normal drivers don't.
0: I was gonna say normal drivers are like those are mm, guidelines. Guidelines. <laughs> yeah. As I've just. That's the read. general
1: consensus that they're guidelines.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. So. Man, the, this is such like interesting macro problems, but I mean, I guess it also can be applied on a micro scale. Like it's it's like this is how we want to make infrastructure more efficient across cities, but also within our cities. Like,
1: yeah, absolutely. planning routes. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's kind of a race now between cities to see who can get the autonomous vehicles to come to their city, who can get the Ubers, the lifts. Um, not all cities are on board with this because there are potential negative consequences of having an accident with a driverless vehicle in your city i mean
0: in terms of like who's at fault like oh i mean in terms of if you're the
1: mayor of a city and you bring autonomous vehicles and one of them runs a pedestrian over i mean actually so i'm from pittsburgh originally and uber is now testing their driverless vehicles in pittsburgh and i think it was the mayor who said like of the three things that make me lose my job, one of them is bike lanes, and the other is if an autonomous vehicle crashes and someone dies. Like Those are his two biggest like worries, his potential re-election.
0: That upsets me, the bike lane thing. Yeah. But obviously, I'm a cyclist and not a driver currently, so yeah, yeah I prefer to be protected from where cars won't knock me off the road.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, I think there's got to be a change in the way we view bikers as a, bikers as a society, but... I think bike lanes can help with that actually. So. I agree.
0: Well, it depends on what kind of bike lanes. I've often seen where they take a normal sized road and they're like, "We painted in a lane." Yeah. I'm like, "No, you've made the lane more narrow and you've pissed off the drivers who used to drive on this road every day because I've quote unquote taken their space. That is not helping yeah. anyone. That is very dangerous." <laughs> exactly,
1: yeah. That's not a good solution. That's not a good engineering solution.
0: No. <laughs> it's a cheap one though. And that's very true. that's often the issue.
1: Yeah. It's- but It's easier to, it's cheaper and easier to paint something than it is to redesign the infrastructure.
0: Yeah. As we're discovering in this country. (laughs) In in many
1: ways, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, so are you going to end up, do you think you're going to stay in academia or do you think you're going to go into industry?
1: I mean, the plan's definitely academia. Um, So transportation's a little bit of a small field. Um, Mm -hmm. So the major state universities have transportation departments um, and some of the, a lot of the really good schools or good schools also or if they don't have transportation programs they're building them out. The other reason I wouldn't be academia is if I didn't get a job or if I didn't get a job in a city or state that uh, I don't really want to live in but for the most part I'm pretty open to trying um, going anywhere.
0: Yeah. Well you could also work for like a research institute that is still research based but not necessarily university. I mean.
1: That's right. Um, I think that's the choice that a lot of academics have or grad students have is do I want a faculty position and fight for a tenure track for the next 10 years? Or do I want to work for a research lab or go into private industry? And generally I'm open to all three, but I think I would like to do research and I think being able to teach would be an added benefit. So yeah, yeah. I think I would like a research lab. I think I'd like a faculty position slightly more. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I
0: love teaching too.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and of course if Uber, Lyft or Google want to give me a lot of money to work for them, uh, I'm willing to talk to them as well.
0: <laughs> I'll consider it, yeah, I exactly.
1: guess.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Oh, man, that is so cool. Well, do you have any last, like, thoughts you would like to impart upon our listeners?
1: Um, I think just in general that if you're interested in transportation, now is a great time to get involved, whether you're an undergraduate or a high school student. There's so many areas for research and development in private companies and industry and academia, whether it's on the legal side, the engineering side, the psychology side, um, the legal side.
0: Um, Economics.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, I mean, I think transportation is an interesting field in general. I think the autonomous driverless vehicles will make it even more interesting for people who are working in the field. Yeah, I'm excited to be one of those people. So <laughs>
0: yeah, once I finish grad school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, great. Thank you so much for coming out and and chatting with me. This has been super fascinating because this is yeah a a very macro problem that I don't think about much when I'm calling my Lyft or my Uber.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I I really appreciate you having me. It's it's been a lot of fun actually talking about this stuff.
0: Yeah, and do you does your lab have a Twitter? Do you have a Twitter?
1: Yeah, so my lab um, is at info, N-U-T-C, um, that's Northwestern University Transportation Center. Um, and then mine Twitter is at M Highland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, 312, um, yeah, so I'm not a big Twitter user, but.
0: Yeah, no, I feel you there, I've. I've mostly been just retweeting stuff, I see. Yeah, exactly. I'm not creative enough. (laughs) Um, But you can um, contact me at phdrinking on Twitter. I also have a Gmail, phdrinking at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for other graduate students, topics, uh, what have you. You just want to chat. I'm always available. Um, Yeah, so thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks again. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun.
0: This has been fun. Okay, (laughs) see you guys later.